the further, the depths of the mind and the psychological side of things, I just, I want to find out more about it. And that's why I'm enjoying the bike riding because it's allowing me finally, like when you're, when the races are three, four, five days long and it's, the clock never stops and you can do little sleeps in bus stops and like you, you, you eat what you find on the, in different like shops and stuff along the way, you can really go to some dark places. Like, proper, proper dark places, and that's that's enjoyable. Good everyone. That was Robbie Britton. I'm Matt Raymond. And I'm Eugene Bingham. And this is Dirt Church Radio. Interesting conversations with interesting runners. Do you know what happened to me, Eugene? I ran out of spring energy. Mm. And I'm learning. Like Robbie Britton said about eating, I'm learning to eat. I mean, I'm good at eating, but not good at eating when I run. During a run. And um, I had some calories before my run, a long run, and it wasn't spring energy. And by half an hour into the run, I felt dizzy and sugary and gross. But you've sorted that out And today. ugly. And you sort of that out today by doing getting internally doing and externally ugly. It was horrible. I did. I felt really shaky. I had to like have some more food, and and that and that worked out fine. But uh, it wasn't ideal. But when I use spring energy in the morning, doesn't phase me. Just feel fantastic. And when you use spring energy during a run, feels good too. I'm pretty natural food. Mm. Mm. And and that's right, natural food: basmati rice, bananas, yep, onions, all sorts of stuff that you find. Yeah, have you heard the new... What? No, it's the new flavour. Oh, the new one. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. I'll let you have it. It's not onions. No, it's (laughs) these nut butters and stuff like that. Um, Onion would be good, though, like a French onion. No, it would not be. French onion soup gel. Don't even put this out into the world because someone might hear it. That'd be amazing. That's a good idea. Uh, Like with the cheese on top, you grill it. Well, only onion as much as onion in a Mm. French onion soup dip, kiwi dip thing. Kiwi, anyway, French onion. What's the code, dip. Matt? What's the code, DCR Matt? Spring for ten percent off any purchase at myspringenergy.co.nz. Do it. Boom. If you go to Vert Run and check out Ruth Croft, her training plan, Ruth Croft's elbows. You learn to elbow like Ruth Croft. Elbowed that woman out of the way at Mount. Bolt Is that one of the drills? That's what the drills are. Just maybe just elbow smashes. <laughs> but if you enter the code Dirt Church Ten at Vert Run for her fourteen week training program, you'll get ten US dollars off Boom. at Vert Run. <laughs> Gee, Eugene, what new Scott shoe have you been running in? They're black. And they're yellow. Yes. And they're called the Scott Kinabalu Ultra RC, and they are hot. Well done. I love them. Yeah. So the, I ran on them for the first time on decent trails. No, sorry. Sorry, Riverhead. Uh, no. On, on Saturday, and they, they were so good. Yeah. So good. I they're have, comfy as well. Comfy as well. I have been rolling in the Supertrack RC 2.0, which I can honestly say, and I would, I can honestly say, as the most comfortable upper that I've ever worn, mm. and they are fantastic, mm. fantastic shoes. If you go to scottrunning.nz, check out the new new uh, Supertrack RC 2.0 and the Scott Kinabalu Ultra RC. They're just sweet. They are sweet. Scottrunning.nz. Sweet 
I can't believe how many people are using the Wild Things Dirt Church code. I'm really into it. I so cool. am stoked on... Because we love Wild Things. They love us. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a marriage we made in share the love. It's like peanut by butter and chocolate. Using, it is. By people using DCR2020 when they sign up for a VIP membership. VIP membership. Yeah. They get 15 months for the price of 12. Everyone's happy. Absolutely. They also get a scented envelope sent to them that smells like Eugene and I. But you can't tell which is which. So Cypress yeah. and chai. So if you use the code DIRTCHURCH2020, you'll get 14 months for the price of 12. It's actually DCR2020. DCR. The code. And you go to Wild I was things. intoxicated by the smell of chai and cypress. Mm. Club. Sign up. Do it. Get it done. We go something like further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster now. Go further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster now. Ditchitch Radio. We made it. We made it. We did episode 99. With two we made it's because we missed out saying we made oh, it last yeah, week. Yeah, apparently. that's right. That's right. Somebody called us out. Someone did call were us out. Were they worried that we hadn't made it? I don't know. I think it threw um, them out because we're so obsessional yeah. about the way we... Well, anyway. Yeah. We made it. Episode we did. 99. feel a bit nervous now. You know? 99. Could all go wrong. It could all... <laughs> we could have a big fight. We could have an argument. Some of those long held tensions that have been just simmering away. Yeah. Or like the cricketer who's on 99. Starts getting all nervous, you know. Do you know about that? No, I don't really. I've never not really, really been a cricket guy. Okay, yeah. all right, fair enough. Well, we're a bit nervous anyway. How you know, how much did people love that Killian Jornet video that you shared on our Facebook page? Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it was just, yeah, I just thought, I don't know what I thought. I th- probably thought the same thing that everyone else thought when they, yeah, I'll get close to the mic when everyone else thought when um, they watched it, which was, uh, how does that happen? How I know. You, how do you do that? How do you run along a a a, 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 a ribbon of mu- a ribbon of granite two miles up in the air mm. with certain death on one side? But we're not here to talk about Killian Jornet. We're here to talk about Robbie Britton. We and are. What an amazing conversation we just had. Yeah. And about to have. Well, we've just had it. We're about to. You're play about to hear it. And it was a banger. A real. Banger. Yeah. We. I mean, we kind of thought after the Dave Proctor episode where he talked about this zen-like runner um, that he encountered at the World Champs uh, in 2015 that we had to get this zen master on the show. And and so it proved really, didn't it? Yeah. Um, Yeah, Robbie, it was a great conversation. You'll love it. He's, uh, you know, got a scientific brain, uh, science brain, hilarious. heart. Enthusiast heart and hilarious. You'll you'll love it. Um, You know, but boy, you know, he's, he's... yeah, a legend. Currently based in Italy, so it tells us a little bit about life in Italy. But um, yeah, you'll love it. What a fantastic, hey, a yeah. couple of great runs of our. We didn't we weren't quite in Italy, in the mountains of Italy, but we did have a couple of good runs over the weekend. Fantastic runs over the weekend. Yeah. Um, and it was so great to see races over the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people back out there. Um, you know, it's hard to believe that people are back racing and sort of doing all that stuff around it. You know, volunteering and organising and taking photos and doing post race massages and it's like. That thing never happened. Mm. It's always in the back of your mind, though, eh? Mm. And, you know, look, I just I think it speaks to how incredibly kind of 
hardworking we've been and how, how yep. privileged and lucky we are to be now sort of sitting on the other side thinking like, you know, mm. and run together. You can, we, we're going to do a live show next week and everyone's just going to be like kind of piling. It's going to be really, really good. Mm. Mm. And yeah, everyone's finger, just mash the buttons for Kepler and then turn up at Kepler and be able to do that. It'll yeah. be really, really good. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, um, just on Adam Keane last week, it was really great to hear his, that sort of inside story of relapse Absolutely. from last year, Riverhead Relapse. And, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what goes down this year. And in our excitement last week, we did mess up a few details about last year's be, race. It wouldn't be this podcast if we didn't mess up a few It wouldn't details. be. So just to be clear, it was lap 27 that Ian, Ian Evans quit. Right. It was Andrew McDowell finished about 100 metres into lap 28. He folded in half like a warm flower tortilla. He did. He met a tree. Uh, no, he didn't. He just fell over. <laughs> I thought he met a tree. <laughs> no, he just stopped. And then his top half sort of went boom like that in the oh. 90 degree angle and then he sort of sat back. Right. Well, we better get that right. Yeah. Seems it'd be awkward to have to do an apology for an Apology. Yeah. Not the first time we've had to do that in 99 shows. Um, Sean Collins busted his Achilles halfway through lap 28, and then Adam quit during lap 29. And the magnificent Katie Wright completed lap 29 and then did an extra lap 30 just because Clock she's Katie Wright. 200K. Yeah. 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 So this year's event is looking amazing. Absolutely. Isn't it? you know? Yep. It's, uh, I mean, you've got the all five of last year's. Famous five uh, coming back. Um, Including Katie. So I, I didn't think Katie was going to do this year. Well, I suppose well, because things have changed yeah, so much. Yeah, she was going to go back to Biggs and yeah. that's not on. But yeah. um, we've got Jean Bowman, Fiona Hayweiss, Tom Hunt, Stuart Lynch, who's a multi-world champ adventure racer. And I reckon there'll be some surprise dark horses. There's always there. going to be dark horses in that kind of event, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, so, you know. It's going to be intriguing August 14 in Riverhead Forest. Absolutely. It'll be warm and not muddy and it'll be lovely. Yeah. But don't bef- don't forget, this Saturday, the 4th of July, our live show. Yeah, Hellertau Brewery to celebrate our 100th episode. So if you're in the area, come down, 2 yeah. o'clock, mm-hmm. come and sit and have a beer and listen to us talk. We'll be talking with um, Scotty Stevenson. Uh, from a couple of shows back, he's going to come and guest, and we'll just be running through the hundred show, uh, the you know the hundred weeks that we've been doing this. We're um, not going to recount that every single every one. single one. Yeah, like every single minute, blow by blow. Do you remember when Jeff Browning yeah. he said don't eat carbohydrates, and then yeah. we had they're like you should eat carbohydrates. I got so confused. Mm. Yeah, we won't do that, but we will. You know, we'll we'll reminisce a little bit. We've got some little surprises lined up. We've got prizes lined up. Surprises. Yeah, and uh, we've got um, we're going to go for a run, a little social run beforehand as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Not if, immediately if, beforehand because that'd be weird. No, especially but not with beer. In the morning. Yep. Ten o'clock. Yep. At the Forestry Road Gate in Riverhead Forest. Uh huh. Come by for like we'll do like an hour, hour and a quarter. Some yep. Good trails. Little little social trail loop. Um, you know, if you're going to be in the vicinity, come along. And then, um, yeah, and then uh, come along to the show at two o'clock. Yeah. So how, how have you been, Matt? Man, we had the best weekend. I mean, I, again, sort of bang on about it. You know, like, it's been a long, it's been a bit of a longer road back from having pericarditis than I actually thought mm. it would be. And I don't know why I thought I'd be like, get over it in a week. But I feel like I'm back on my feet. We had some amazing, you know, last week having a long run, this week, you know, s- Saturday got out for two runs, like trails with you in the after, in the morning, and then Rebecca in the afternoon, and then me, you, and Scotty, and um, 
Daniel and Sean, you know, out for like, how long did we run for? Like three hours, three and a half hours on hours, yeah. Sunday. And it was brilliant. It was so good. And so, yeah, today was, whilst I was sort of at work going, oh, work's dumb, I was also kind of buoyed up by how good. Yeah, and it's good. Those are those was. good runs to bank, those, those Sunday runs. And if you get your good, if you get your long runs going well and you get into a rhythm and you start banking them, um, it, it starts to feel good and you start to feel the gains, don't you? Well, I don't know because I've always done shift work. Yes. And so True. I always used to, and you know, like mm. I turn up to those Sunday runs sometimes when shifts allow and then at other times I'd have to rush off or get up and do it. And, and it's actually. Well, and sometimes you'd be doing them tired as well. And that's not tired, good for you either. Yeah, no. you know? Or doing them on a Tuesday by yourself. And yeah. It's just a, a different kind of vibe around the whole thing it was fantastic mm, yeah mm. those the the run on saturday i was just thinking uh we headed out to do trails and i mean there's been a lot of rain in auckland we're still i guess technically in a drought but there's been a lot of rain in auckland the last week or so and so the trails were, were super wet but they weren't as slippery or as muddy as i thought they'd because it hasn't soaked in yet so yeah just like lots of pools of standing water mm. And it was good fun. It was Absolutely. Good fun. Yeah, yeah. I had a couple of nights up north at Tutukaka with Suzanne. What a beautiful, beautiful place. And it was stormy as, but such good fun getting out in the storm um, and getting out for a run, a bit of an explore. I did notice, you know, there were only a couple of hardy Te trail walkers. Um, you know, usually that place would be teeming with them. But there's a decent section of inland bush, which is part of the trail up there. And I'd hoped to have it go for a run on it, but I did a, did a recce and noticed that it was closed because of Cody dieback. And it makes you wonder how much of Te Araroa is closed in Northland due to, te, to, um, to dieback. You know, that's two sections that I know of. Mm. It's just, I mean, it's important that we sort this out, but yeah, what a bummer. It's just a reminder of how sad it is that those trees are in that state. Um, and we need to get this thing sorted, don't we? Yeah, Brr. absolutely. Yeah, so we can open up those beautiful trails again one day, maybe in our lifetime. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, yeah. Look, as we close on our 100th show, I mean, just a, a quick shout out. Um, those of you that have been supporting us on Patreon, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You've enabled us to do some really cool stuff. And we've got, and we, you know, as much as we're living moment to moment at the moment we're starting to get some plans back in yep. place for some well we're really, going to have some gear that we we're going to have some merch that's coming out soon well and uh, yeah some gear that we're going to be able to use to record the live show is Absolutely. thanks to our patreon yep. patrons 100%. so thank you, you so know. we really appreciate you if you like what we do and you want to you know chuck us uh, a little bit of coin it's patreon.com slash dirtchurchradio if not that's rad we love you just as much and we'll keep doing this for as long as we can so thanks very much So I just wanted to mention the passing last week of Garth Gilmore, who's, mm. you know, the, whose work we actually talked about uh, with Adam last week. Uh, he's an author, journalist. Uh, he wrote some 23 books, including many of New Zealand's classic running books. He passed away aged 94. He was Arthur Lydiard's last week. So he was Arthur Lydiard's biographer, and he co-wrote several books with Arthur, including Running, running the Lydiard Way and Run to the Top and others. He also wrote books about Sir Murray Helberg and Sir Peter Snell and other legendary figures of the New Zealand running scene. And he, Garth was a bit of a gateway drug to running nerdism for me. Mm. And he and other runner, he and other writers like Norman Harris and Roger Robinson, they really introduced me to the beauty of running and a world that I started to dream about. And I just, I just wanted to reflecting on 
Garth's impact on on me, you know. I never met him, but just through his words and his work, you never know how someone is going to be inspired by you or get hooked into running or, or, or you know, just being fit and enjoying life through your own actions or, or what you are doing. So you may well be inspiring people around you right now, not so much with your words maybe, but but with your actions. And that's and that's a great thing. And just, you know, I guess keep inspiring people, keep doing what you were doing um, because, and, and just be mindful of setting an example, really. Mm. Um, and thank you, Garth. Run on. Hmm. Hey, so as we mentioned, God, that was a ramble, wasn't it? Sorry, no, it wasn't. No, I think it, but I think it, it speaks to the fact that you know we talk about running and we talk about being vibrant and we talk about all these things, but we're, we're all going to die, yeah, one day. And while we're here, you know, and you see people like Arthur Lydia, and he, I know he passed a while ago, but we're seeing legends of our sport are getting older, mm, mm. and you know, it, it's incredible that from a country that's relatively small. It's at the bottom of the world. It's small. Someone like Arthur Lydia had such a huge, and so many runners from here have had such a huge influence Uh. and done some really amazing things. And, and, you know, you you would, does sort of hanging on you and Scotty's every word on the weekend, you know, talking about this, two of these amazing journalists just talking about, you know, Garth's passing. So it, it is, it's meaningful. And I think it does. It speaks to like, no one's getting out alive, so and, yeah. and kindness radiates, right? So yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. So look, as we mentioned, racing is back, baby, and the Xterra <laughs> Auckland Series began at Waitawa Regional Park on on Saturday. Um, so oh, Sunday, sorry, Sunday. Yeah, wasn't it, it was a Sunday. Yeah, and some speedsters turned up, didn't they? Absolutely. So in the mail, in the super long, it was Yuan Dearcourt, um, one forty three. Oh, six. Second was Craig Fowler, uh, 143.15. That's not very far well, behind. Not far behind. And third, Coach James Kugler in 144.53. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. yeah. And the women's uh, Maddie Superlong, Maddie Dillon was first in 202.33. Alexia Preston, uh, second in 211.05. And Nikki Hill, third in 214.47. Yeah. Long course, Liam Bird. One fifteen twenty two, and then you had Donald McGoldrick in one nineteen oh nine, and Max Oliverio in one twenty oh seven. Yeah, and in the women's long course it was Rosie Taylor one forty four fifty eight, Lauren Taylor one forty six flat, and Diane Cornell in one forty seven oh four. Mid course Richard Harris forty seven minutes forty nine. It's second at Jack Ryan from the Hero of the Book Hunt for October in fifty minutes and one second, <laughs> and. Ronan Kadaya uh, in 50 minutes and 50 seconds. I like the symmetry there. Yeah. And a couple of youngsters. It's Mr. Palindrome. No, it's not. Almost, yeah. A couple of youngsters, second and third. Yeah. Who's that? Jack and Ronan. Oh, yeah, Ronan. Yeah, yeah. And in the women's, another youngster took it out. Amelia Lythe uh, uh, was 56 minutes and 33 seconds. Alana Lythe. Oh, related maybe fifty six forty eight and Diana Simpson fifty nine forty. Yeah, mm. the short course Samuel Rickaby uh, twenty four fifty eight and Stella Hammond in twenty seven thirteen. Yeah, and there was a record turnout at the Lactic Turkey Trail Nav Series opener at Shakespeare Regional Park. Awesome! I think it was more than a hundred entries there across the you know teams and and individuals and so on. Some guy called Tom Hunt. 
did quite well. Yeah, I mean, I don't under. I've done a Rogaine. I loved it. I didn't understand it, and I don't understand the results. You should have a look at the spreadsheet. With I've the seen it. I, yeah. I saw it before. I tried I, to unpick it. Honestly, Tom Hunt won the three-hour solo. He did. Well he done, did. Tom. Yeah, and well done to everyone for getting out there. Uh, because we are lucky we can race in this country. Because you see that Badwater was cancelled over the weekend. I think it was five or six days out from the start. You know, that's the famous race that goes from Death Valley up to Mount Whitney yep. and is running extraordinary temperatures. And Lisa Tamati and Glenn Sutton and others have done it, of course. It was supposed to be starting this week, but there was a surge of COVID-19 cases um, that caused the organisers to rethink. And I, th- I think it was the park rangers too who, who had a second had second thoughts. There was also an earthquake yeah, that's a- near the finish line. You know, <laughs> someone going, oi, oi, <laughs> hey, yeah. go inside. Yeah. Yeah. No, not no. now. <laughs> not now. Yeah. But yeah, Camille Heron was on her way there oh, to have a crack at it, which would have been that? fascinating, but it wasn't to be. How many beers do you reckon she would have chopped? Yeah. 35 miles. Yeah. Climbing on the road. It's hot. It's hot. You want a beer? You do. You do. You want to be loading your carbs. You want to yeah. be getting fluid into you. Connor will put out the chili bin. You're in the chili bin. It's got ice in it and there's yeah. beer in there. And you're anyway. chopping another beer. Yes. And tacos. Tacos, beer. And it, <laughs> didn't she cop some like Taco Bell sponsorship? Yes, yeah, she did. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the person who was on episode 44 of Dirt Church Radio, Corey Waltering, um, said an extraordinary wow. FKT this week. Mm. A thousand miles at three weeks for the Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin. Mm. But he had to cover the final 157 miles in 40 hours if he wanted to beat the existing uh, FKT. And um, he did it. He did it. Yeah. So he he just spent three weeks preparing for the for the FKT attempt. And he'd been it had been sort of on his on his mind um, because he trains on on part of it, the southern portion of it. The the whole trail, this uh, Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin is one thousand one hundred and forty seven miles. But so Annie Weiss uh had, had, Weiss? Nice. Captured the FKT in 2018, which was 21 days, 18 hours, and seven minutes. And he he sort of started thinking about it, but then with what's happened with COVID and so mm. on, he thought, why not? So he did it, and he did it in 21 hours, 21 days, sorry, 13 hours, 35 minutes. So he beat it by less than five hours. That's amazing. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, they were planning to camp, but they ended up staying in hotels because there were so many ticks. Oh, Lyme disease and all sorts yeah, of stuff. Yeah, they're, they're not nice, eh? Ticks. So much that we don't have to worry about here. Mountain lions. Anyway, sharks. Don't. Oh, yeah, okay. He all revealed right. something. Anyway. I revealed. Oh, no, let's talk about this. All so right. Eugene has an irrational fear of. I don't know why you say it's irrational. Mountain lions, you know. It's not apex, irrational at all. Our apex predator in this country is an eagle that's been extinct for 4,000 years. <laughs> um. No, 1400s. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A thousand years. Well, 800 years. Whatever. The eagles did. But my, my irrational fear, apart from my wilderness themed one, is we have a river that flows by our house and it's got some ruins on it and you can jump off the ruins into the water. It's a good six or seven foot drop and it's really, really fun. I'm worried about landing on a shark. Mm, Not to mention I'd kill it if I had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that would be the shark's last day on earth. They'd be having a great day and then this hirsute cannonball would break its back. Anyway, yeah, it would, it'd, be, it'd be terrible. 
probably more traumatic for the shark. Maybe yep. there's a shark out there going, oh, sh-, you know. It's- I, I would go over to Riverhead, but I'm a little worried about <laughs> Matt Raymond's going to land you know, on me. Anyway. Humans. Yeah. Hey, look, we just wanted to, it's a bit of a change here, but just a quick note to say that we're really sad to hear about Aussie Grit, the little Australian yeah, apparel absolutely. company. It was making a big splash, you know, trying to get up and running. And it's, it's announced last week that it had to permanently close its doors this week. And remember we had Mark Weber on to talk about it and our friend Lee was a constant supporter and, and, and not only was supportive of us, but he, he sort of pointed us in the direction of, of some good guests and so on. Um, you know, he, he continues to be, you know, a great supporter and, and we, we're a great supporter of his. But Aussie Grit, trading conditions just didn't work out in this no. COVID environment and it just proved too much. And so the company said it won't be back. We just want to say, look, all the best to the whole team. Absolutely. And we know how much she poured into it. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, yeah. Right. Greatest, Greatest run, run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. There you go. He was doing an obscenely threatening gesture at me. No, it was not. Stone. That was my This is the part of the show. Mm. Oh, I thought you were like, don't try and harmonise with yourself. This no, is the no, part no. of the show where we ask you to write into us and tell us about your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. It might just be a run around the block. Something that's sung to you for some reason. You can send it in to us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. Mm. And this is from Malcolm Barr. And this is a bit of a special one. You haven't read this one, but it's a bit of a special one. So I've been a bit of a runner on and off my my whole life, but a lot more on in the last few years. My last event that I trained for was a marathon in 2011, but I didn't follow the training plan and ended up walking most of the last 10 kilometers. Turning 40 last year with the unfortunate ability to put on a kilogram just by opening a can of craft beer, I really wanted to get fit again. I started running, but I could barely get through three kilometers without tweaking a calf, hamstring or Achilles. So it was a case of two runs, then two to three weeks off. I decided I needed a goal and wasn't really interested in another marathon and had been looking at the Riverhead Relapse as a cool event. Disclaimer, Madeline Collins is my sister. I spent hours talking to Sean and Madeline, getting advice on training, techniques, gear, etc. and started building up the case. My three brothers were coming from Wellington and Auckland to crew. Although they considered it an endurance beer drinking <laughs> event with me as their support runner, they even brewed a 6.7% beer to drink. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, 6.7K, 6.7 beers. True. You drink. That's dedicated. You drink a hundred, it's a hundred beers in 24 hours. Mm. Um, then COVID-19 stopped everything and the relapse was postponed. I was so disappointed, but I know my disappointment was nothing compared to that of Sean, Madeline, Matt and Rebecca. And yeah, that Matt is me and Rebecca is my wife and Sean and Madeline. And yeah, great disappointment. I dealt with it by having an angry run up Mount Kakapuku without warming up for <laughs> four kilometers of uphill trail and really hurting my Achilles again. On Facebook, Dave Proctor and the guys at Personal Peak Endurance Coaching announced that the Quarantine Backyard Ultra on the same weekend the relapse was supposed to happen, and I looked at it with a passing interest. Not really thinking it was for me, but 10 days later, my wife and I set some rules and I entered. My rules were simple. Stay local. My loop started and finished at home and was a simple 6.71 kilometer circuit. Two, keep the bubble intact. I chose a route using the main roads with wide footpaths and would run on the road to avoid pedestrians. Three, don't push too far. As soon as it felt like I was flagging, I had to quit so I wouldn't require external help at all. So at 2am on Sunday the 5th of April, I had the Zoom all set up for the virtual starting corral and I 
set off my first loop along with 2,400 other runners worldwide. An hour later, at 2 a.m. again because of the daylight savings ending, I started again and the routine was underway. I had a rough hour on lap four with some stomach cramps, difficulty maintaining pace and keeping my heart rate below 160 BPM. And though this was going to be, I thought this was going to be another disaster, but things got easier during lap five. And when the sun came up late in lap six, I got a real boost. Completing seven laps, I ticked off my longest run ever. Then lap eight ticked off 50 kilometers and lap nine, 60 kilometers. At the end of lap 10, Maggie Gutel quit and I'd beaten <laughs> one of the world's best. Throughout the morning, word of my run was spreading from my wife and friends and family living in the neighborhood who had nothing to look forward to for a couple of weeks came out and cheered me on lap after lap from the other side of the road, of course. I had people all over the country watching nothing on the live stream for 50 minutes each hour and then 10 minutes of action before I set off again. I got lots of texts of support and had some really good phone conversations while out there running, including an inspirational chat with the Collins family early on lap 10. During lap 12, I got the wobbles in the heat of the day and decided based on my rules it was time to finish. I had an energy gel and I actually felt quite strong at the end of the lap, finishing 53 minutes, but wasn't going back on my decision to quit. That would break my safety rules and would be irresponsible during the lockdown. Having completed 80.1 kilometers, this became my greatest run ever. I had far exceeded what I thought I was capable of in an unexpected race, both physically and mentally. I did it with my wife and three girls supporting me every hour. There is a little bit of what if, knowing that I could have gone out on another lap. And this would have continued in different circumstances, but that will have to wait for the next event, hopefully a rescheduled relapse. Wow. And he says, yeah. and during this lockdown, I've now well and truly caught the bug for ultra running. Well, look... It, you know. Malcolm, I hope you are coming to Absolutely. Relapse. I should have checked. And having had the privilege to hang out and run with your sister, she's truly wonderful. Yeah. And I see where you get the, the ability from. Cause, mm. cause Guts and determination. Absolutely. Well done. Fun, what a great run. Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to um, turn around that disappointment and just go for it. Fantastic. You can read the full uncut. There was a couple of little bits that we took out there, but the full uncut version is on the website. Go on. You know you want to. Absolutely. Right. right. On to our main event. Robbie Britton uh, joins us for episode 99 of Dirt Church Radio. Um, team Great Britain ultra runner, um, world and 24, world and European 24-hour bronze medalist, coach, writer, um, enthusiast. I mean, he's, he's 33 years old. He's packed a lot in. He has. I actually lost track of the number of master's degrees he had. <laughs> like, I think... Um, and joins us from Italy for a phenomenal, phenomenal crack. So, yeah, Robbie Britton. Radio. All right, from Codula in Italy, it's Robbie Britton. Robbie, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. Ever since um, I talked to Dave Proctor about his greatest run ever, and he mentioned, you know, the conversation that you guys had, I've been, we've been desperate to, to get you on board. So thanks for, for coming on Dirtchurch Radio. Yeah, I had I had to listen to that episode because I had no idea what Dave was talking about. So, and he mentioned it before a couple of times. I was like, "What? What did I say to Dave that <laughs> affected him so deeply? Did I upset him?" Right. So, yeah, it was good. It was really. I sent him a message after listening and was like, "Hi, oh, Dave. That was really nice. It's kind of." I feel he added a bit of elegance to what I said. I probably said it a lot more bluntly. <laughs> uh, There's the top. The timbre of his voice is quite outstanding. Like I was, I was almost, I was sitting there in my, um, I was going to say studio, but at my kitchen table, just um, nearly just that soporific 
the t- just the, how how he speaks and the phrasing and everything it was wonderful. On well, the way he laid that story out yeah. so beautifully. <laughs> so just please please don't shatter any illusions we have about that conversation. Oh, I was listening to it for the first time. Like it felt like I was like, oh. Dear. So I mean, you're in you're in Italy at the moment, and and you were saying before we came online that you're in the town that Fila Sportswear. Uh, used to be in up in the Italian mountains. How's it going for you at the moment up there? It's nice. It's. I was just saying to someone yesterday. It feels like we're returning to normal, but it's a new normal. If that makes any sense. It's like. A- it's so we kind of adapt into. The, we we had a, a lockdown where we were in, indoors for two months, and I went out to the supermarket. I think five times, and that's it. I did all my training indoors. Like we were proper. All the neighbours. We're all indoors, stuck in. Um, but working from home as a, as a coach, there wasn't. I was able to work, so I was fortunate for that. And uh, now we're kind of, we've been able to go camping for a night. And like it was a, a COVID adapted campsite everywhere with signs that we had to wear masks. And it was pretty cool to be able to go out and, and have this normal little camping trip. And like the supermarkets are a bit more relaxed. You see some of the cafes that, like they're opening up, and people people are getting a bit bit more back to normal, but there's just a little bit less kissing going on. How, how very un-Italian. Yeah, I know. That's probably, I think that was part of, when we initially locked down, they, they left the restaurants, the cafes open, because it was a big part of social life out here. You, you'd, I'd cycle past and see people kissing each other and again, what are you doing? Stop yeah. it. Yeah. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't shout that at them. But <laughs> I think that was part, maybe part of the issue that we had quite a, a quick rise here because everyone greets everyone in a very kind of is it tactile way. There's a lot of touching going on in this country, and I love it, but uh, we've just got to put it on hold for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. How, how, did, how did you end up in Italy, and, and how long have you been there? Because you, you were in Chamonix for a while, is that right? Yeah, we was in Chamonix for three or four years, and then we've been in Italy about 15 months now. It was last year we moved. Um, it's basically, the, the rent in Chamonix is ridiculously expensive, and... Our landlord was like, "Oh yes, um, I am selling the property. Would you would you like to buy it?" I was like, "How much?" He's like, "Oh, it's only one point one million euros." And we was like, no. what? "What do you What do you think we are? Like, do you think we're some kind of like trust fund kids here or something? We are we are scraping the rent together every month, mate." Um, so we looked at, over in Italy because we we just love it. The people over here are just wonderful, and um, my wife Natalie found a property that was marketed very, very cheaply, and we thought it was an error. So we got in contact and said, like, you've missed a zero on this, guys. Um, <laughs> uh, they're like, no, no, no it's just the, the, the guy wants to sell it. And it was we ended up paying, uh, like, 5,000 euros for a flat. Wow. So we were, wow, let's move over here. And we said, what's the, what's the worst that can happen if it's a scam or if it's, a like, a complete disaster? It's worth a gamble. And now we've been here a year, we're Italian residents, and we absolutely love it. Fantastic. And what's it like for training? Oh, spot on. I mean, like, so where we are, we're at the end of this, this like river valley that just behind us goes off into the mountains for many, many miles. So you could go, you could probably get to, could you get to, you'd have to cross a couple of roads, but you could get to Chamonix without seeing any towns. Wow. Um, and where the town itself the Giro d'Italia came through, um, I think, 2015. So on either side, we're in the valley, and on either side, you've got two Giro climbs, which you can get to 
I mean, within within a few hundred meters, I can go up a thousand meters of climbing on the road bike. Wow. Uh, and like, yeah, the trails, the, we've got this, our local mountains, Mount Monte Baroni, and we're at about 500 meters. And the summit of that is 2,044. And you can get there with about 8K. So, Oof. yeah, we've got plenty of, yeah, there's plenty of climb. There's plenty of road biking, running. There's a, like, some decent local runners. So it's, it's, um, you're not short of uh, people to run with as well. So, yeah, spot on. For, I'm trying to kind of encourage more uh, people to come to this small enclave, maybe create some kind of running commune. Uh, <laughs> but we're working on that. Like a, a, a not prohibitively expensive Chamonix. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's the exact opposite. You could, like, if you're looking to try and, if you can work remotely and, 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 find a way to make that happen like this is a perfect place to mm. it's just very uh, very i mean you you've been down for tarawera yes yeah and you know how kind of we do things in aotearoa and looking at at like utmb the start of utmb or the whole atmosphere around utmb it just feels so overwhelming is it really that mad have you not been no, no, I've not had the. <laughs> I've had stuff on. Uh, <laughs> um, a couple of our friends went last year and, uh, and and ran it actually. A couple of guys we run with very regularly, but um, yeah, no, not it's, not had the pleasure. It's it is awesome. Like you hear some people going, "Oh yeah, it's just too commercialized. Oh, I'm too cool for UTMB these days." And you just like get over yourself, mate. It is awesome. It's like the first time I went there, I, I flew over from the UK and it. I was there with my mum, with my mum, and I was like, "Oh, I feel like, I feel like I've actually come to somewhere I belong. Like there's people in lycra everywhere, just kind of strolling around town with full packs on and poles. You're like, what are they doing? Why do they need those poles for the bakery? <laughs> but yeah, it's, there's a real buzz, there's a buzz to the town. And over the years, I like, live in there. We kind of got a bit like, oh gosh, UTMB week. Oh, what sure, but you." But it's not that you're seeing everyone, like all your friends, like meeting new people. There's a real buzz around the town, and yeah, the race itself, the races themselves. I mean, there is a special. I think it's not just UTMB; it's a lot of the European mountain races. Whereas in some places you run through an environment, and the local communities might come out and clap you through, uh, or they might kind of be annoyed that you're running through their area. In the mountains, you, they, it's almost like they. They're absolutely delighted that you've chosen to run a race in this area. Yeah. They're just people are just like I mean I've been to like races like Zagama and there is like, the experience is just unreal because they just love the fact that you're running through their town and it, it's yeah there's a real these are mountain people whereas I think like other places people live in the countryside but they're not necessarily mountain people or like countryside people they've moved out there and there's second homes and stuff like that is a big problem in the uk whereas out here you're, you're running through rural communities that yeah they, they live and breathe the mountains even here we came and moved in and we're like oh god we're gonna everyone gonna be into the outdoors like our next door neighbors run a marathon like there's like all the locals like i think i met someone on strava that i could run with on the first week like there's local cyclists everywhere like it's just the outdoors is a big part of the lifestyle. And yeah. I think like with you as well, it, every town you run through is full of people that, that kind of get what you're doing, and which is to any, like a lot of other races. 
And they, not only that, they want to share it with you. They're not. They're not like this is our place. Keep away. Yeah, they want. They they just they absolutely love you being there. Majority of them. Like some don't. But <laughs> it's very rare. Like especially for the big events. Like it's just. And a lot of these, some of these towns, they rely on the on the, the tourism. So it's a big part of it anyway. So it's kind of like, well, even if we don't want you being there, we need you here. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, every year we go for the Tour de Gence, which has unfortunately been uh, cancelled this year. Mm. But it's a week long. And every town you go through, they're not just cheering you on. They're, they're volunteering for 24, 36, 48 hours. Wow. So a bunch of people can, can trait through their town. Like, they're, like, they're out at like four in the mornings like, serving coffee at unofficial checkpoints and, and just cheering you on. You hear stories of people being welcomed into homes to, to eat like – local produce because they're, they're seeing them out in the mountain. They want to help them out. And yeah, I mean, the, the, like the Tour de Jeance is, it's not quite as big and commercial as UTMB, mm. uh, but the, like the, yeah, the, the communities you go through and the, and the, the, the people you meet, it, it's just brilliant. I like, I really, really love it. We have a, the same, one of the same men who ran uh, UTMB last year, who was actually signed up for Tour de Jeance and gutted. That it got cancelled, eh? It was mm. just his his type of race. I remember being quite enthralled with um, Jason Coop's uh, description. You know, description of it. And he went through sort of a five-hour period where he was like passing out every 20 metres or something like that. And he'd wake up with like an Italian man poking him with a, uh, a trekking pole like, you know, are you okay? It sounds like an incredible, incredible thing to do. <laughs> it's It's a... Even just the experience, I've not run it myself. My wife's run it. Um, I've supported it and I've, I've coached people through it. And we just go every year, like just to just to kind of take part and like help people that don't really want your help. Just kind of just adopt people as you see them at different <laughs> checkpoints. Um, oh yeah, now we yeah. So like it's it's nice and just cheer that. I feel like there's a special kind of if you've been into that those dark places yourself, you can you can say stuff that maybe in other supporters can't. Yeah. It, sometimes it people a bit to get my sense of humor. It's quite <laughs> dark. Um, takes them a few life stations to realize that I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> what, uh, what's the, what's the darkest thing you've said to a TDG entrant? Oh, Jesus. I don't know. Maybe something like, well, they'd be like complaining about misery and, and pain. I'll just be, it's probably similar to what like David says, saying I'd swap. I'd swap your place, mate. Like, like it's, right. That's not a blister. That's, I mean, yeah, okay, that's a bloody stump you're running on, but could be worse. <laughs> could be worse. Could be worse. Well, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? We, we all to, uh, you know, it's the pain of privilege, right? If you've got the wherewithal and the, the, the discretion, both in income and time, and I'm not saying everyone who runs it is like a dot-com billionaire or whatever, but if you actually can set aside the amount of time to dedicate to train to get there, that is the pain of privilege, right? You're doing okay. It's a hobby. Sorry, did sorry, you entered this race? Has anyone forced you at gunpoint to uh, to enter this horrifically painful mountain marathon? No, they haven't. So get over yourself and either enjoy it uh, for what it is, a, a miserable like <laughs> suffering of, of like lesson or yeah, I don't know what other options there are. Just every part of an ultramarathon is is an opportunity just to kind of to learn, to enjoy it for what it is. And yeah, you can get miserable. Of course you do. I've been doing these long distance bike races and guys, 
it's depressing when you're cycling up a hill and you've like a little old man like doing his shopping overtakes you because he's on an e-bike or you're just going really slow and you realize you've got three days left of cycling and you're in the middle of nowhere and you run out of food but you, you kind of you can either wallow in that misery or go well this is what i signed up for should have stopped at that supermarket yeah have you been doing like uh, i can't i'm probably pronouncing it wrong but randonneurs like the sort of Perry Briss Perry sort of style races or I haven't done that one. It's only every four years. I like basically I got injured last year, so jumped on the bike and then uh signed up for a couple of like thousand kilometer bike races and I and I've rather enjoyed it, so I've got a bit carried away. And... <laughs> Not many people can say a thousand kilometer bike race was a start it. That was your gateway. And then <laughs> you got carried away. Now you've really taken it to extreme. I DNF the first one, so I mean, you could kind of say that I, I definitely I went in at the deep end and drowned. Um, so <laughs> had to be rescued by the wife. But then I went back a couple of months later and, and finished one. Um, so that was yeah, they're, they're quality and they're like perfect for social distancing because you're not allowed to cycle other people. There's very very few entrants and and basically you're on your own. There's no support. There's no checkpoints. You've got to just make your own way across countries and such. So. And he, the chances of it's been on a higher. Are you doing the the full sort of the error bars and everything like that, or are you going like the classic sort of French style with yeah. the with the handlebar bag on the front and the? So it's a bit of both. You got like the handlebar bag and like the little like the map the, case on the top. No map case. I'm 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 very good at just badly using a GPS, so <laughs> I get lost a fair bit. I'm not I'm not bad at using a GPS or a map. I'm bad at setting up a GPS. So like the race I did last November, within about a couple of kilometers, I realized that I hadn't pro properly programmed the route in. I only had 100K of the route on my GPS. Oh. And, it was, and it was like the final 100K, which wasn't very useful. Oh. Um, so I kept getting lost. on the, I went the wrong side, down the wrong side of a mountain, which was quite, I wanted to cry a little bit then, just to turn around and go, I've got to go back up that. Oh. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was all right. It slowed me down on the first day. I didn't overcook it. So we got every every cloud in and I managed to sort it out with a random little Japanese son in a sports shop in an Italian coastal town. They helped me sort it out. And then uh, it was all right after that. Yeah, it's quality. So how, how many of these races have you done? I guess COVID's made a bit of an interruption to things, but are you still doing that? I have done, well, one and a... And a third, maybe, is probably the best way to do it. I, I had to sign up for another one this start this year. Um, got postponed to September, two of them, actually. And then I've got one 25th of July, which I've signed up for. Brilliant. Which is looking like it's from Vienna to Nice. So, should wow. be good. Wow. Yeah. That'll be fantastic. So, yeah. and, and so it's you just got to make your own way. There's... On that one, yeah. It's yeah. called the Free Books Bike Race, and you've got to go via Glossgockner. Glossgockner, I can't even say it, which has got an ultra race, actually. Um, then the Col de Sanach in Switzerland, and then Mont Ventoux, the uh, the Beast of Provence, and then down to Nice. So you, you've got to tag these three little hills. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and cycle whatever way you wish in between. Wow. That's intriguing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite. And. So I mean, it's such a tradition in the European, yeah. and it, oh, I don't know, it really, it grabs me, it tickles my fancy no end. How, I mean, where did, sort of, take it back to the, the beginning? I mean, 
where did you get your start in in sports? Have you always run or what? I've always played sport, but I just I was quite active as a child. Some might say hyperactive. Um, but I played football or soccer. I don't know if you have any US listeners. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I played a lot of football as a youngster, and I I'm quite small. I, back then, I think I was probably about a foot and a half tall. Um, and uh, I used to like I used to make up for my lack of size and ability by running lots. Um, and then other sports I played, I did a bit of um, rugby, a bit of American football, a bit of cricket. I was pretty rubbish at that. Um, but I just played any sport going. And actually, I actively avoided athletics. Um, I like cross country, but I, I used to play cricket during the summer at my school because we could just sit down and chuck a few balls around. Yeah. And we would laugh at people running around the uh, track. How, Little did I know that was my calling. That was it. How did you end up playing American football when you were a foot and a half tall? Well, I can jump, so that's all right. And it's, it's actually I was I was part of the defensive team, and I got I, I had like the season record for interceptions because people thought I'll throw it over that little geezer and then I could jump. <laughs> <laughs> the little little geezers can jump. Where where was that? <laughs> that was in Kent, in southeast London. Wow! So played for the Kent Exiles. We were rubbish. We we qualified for a national final. Um, but didn't win a game on the way there. But like we basically, I think we injured so many of the other teams <laughs> that we that none of the other teams could play the next round, and we made it to the final without winning a game. We got a runners-up trophy, the national final, without winning any games. <laughs> <laughs> Just a process of attrition. <laughs> yeah, can't beat them. So. <laughs> beat them up, <laughs> break them. Yeah. yeah. So then, how did you end up running? A mate of mine did a, he signed up for a marathon at university and I, I basically, he spoke more than I did and uh, I felt that I couldn't let him have these bragging rights on his own. So I just signed up with him. It was at the end of, it was at the end of a, like, a, of a master's degree and uh, I just thought, like, I'll do two in two weeks. That's a bit, that's a bit strange. And I raised, I was raising money for Diabetes UK because a, a family friend had, uh, died after suffering with diabetes for a long time and yeah I did two two in two weeks did I did all right and then uh signed up for a London to Brighton trail race just because it started in my mum's house and it seemed like it'd be a fun thing to do and uh the longer the race went the closer I got to the front so I just kept picking longer races wow yeah the rest is the rest as they say is history I mean you've you've I mean one of my favorite books is um, called Why We Run by Robin Harvey. And it it, it, uh, yeah. it documents him attempting the Spartathlon. Attempting is the key word there, isn't it? It, 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 it? it didn't go well for him, no. But, I mean, it was a hell of it was a, <laughs> I remember reading this book and it's, it's quite a dark sort of somber kind of tome and then he just doesn't do it in the end. But I thought, God, that looked hard. You know, like he talks about sort of running into the night for 12 hours. And, it's really attracted you to really long kind of foot races like that, hey? Yeah, I mean, Spartathlon is one of the one of the greatest ones out, there. and again, that's the people that make that so fantastic. Um, but the, but I remember reading that book, and I think the week before he does a, a marathon in his training, and you, you like, as a coach, I read that and go, "What are you doing?" Oh, yeah. like a marathon week before, great one, mate. Yeah, well done. You just left like 
your finish in that marathon PB. So well done there. Um, I always got, I got frustrated reading that book. I was like, I, was, I could, I was reading it thinking, oh, no, don't do that, don't do that. He's got, run- got the stuff from coming up. He's running around in the bin bags and all sorts of stuff. It, it really, yeah. But it's a, you've not read it? No. No, it's fantastic. It's bloody good. It really is. I got it in the QME library. This is little country library. It's not country library, but why would that book be there? You know, right. like why would a book about Spartathlon be in QME, which is in like rural Auckland in New Zealand? And I thought, I'll read that. That's fantastic. I'd rather we finished it though. Like, it feels like, I remember reading Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. And yeah. He didn't finish it. And I was like, oh, come on, mate. You <laughs> <laughs> that was such an anticlimax, eh? <laughs> <laughs> have, have you ever has any speaking of uh, you know Bill Bryson or the the Appalachian Trail? Is he have you ever sort of been attracted to attempting like an FKT or anything like that? But yeah, I do like them. Like we, so what do we do? Like a few years ago, I ran across Iceland with my friend James Elson. We did that as like a very relaxed FKT, and. um uh, we did a non F. We did a long run across uh, the Komemini Trail in Bulgaria a couple of years ago with my wife and one of our friends, Rye. And then last year, Dan Lawson and I, who's a very special man and a former European 24-hour champ, we we ran an FKT on the Jordan Trail, which was from north to south of Jordan in the Middle East, and that was cool. I mean, it, like it wasn't. We we did cherry pick it a little bit because we felt that the uh, the FKT was within our grasp, but, but still keeping it like a holiday. Um, but it was tough because it wasn't really a trail. It was just a GPX line down a country at times. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, we, I do enjoy it. I got, like, I get a bit of, um, like, my knee uh, from from doing a lot. I've been doing this for, like, 10, 11 years now, coming up to for ultra running, although I'm still younger than most people doing it. Um, I've, I've got a battered body, and I've just had, I've had a niggle since last uh, last summer, she just kept me on the bike, but it's also it, so it's. I do more FKT if my body was willing, uh, but it's kind of finding that balance. What can I? What can I get out of it without destroying it forever? Well, um, what what is the? I mean, that sounds like the perfect uh, FKT approach. Going and doing it with a mate. Tell us a bit more about about going and doing that that Jordan Trail. We've got a video. I think you just. I'll send you the link. Uh, no, no. <laughs> Half hour. Come on, do your research, boys. Uh, <laughs> well, well, we can't. We can't. Well, you want us to sit here and do a movie review on the podcast? I'm sure that'd be fantastic. But we've got you here, so I was thinking you could tell us about it. Novel approach for podcasters, I know. Initially, I was I, I was looking at um, running across Lake Baikal in Siberia, which freezes every year. Yeah. And uh, I had a couple of chums to do that with because mainly because I was scared of dying. Um, when I, if I froze to death and actually one of your previous, uh, guests, Mark, my old Backhausen, I think he's been a guest on your show. He has been, yeah, yeah. 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 So he was supposed to do it with me, but he's, um, like getting him to commit to anything's a nightmare. But you had about three weeks trying to get him on the podcast. <laughs> no, um, he's pretty good, but imagine he'd be a very reassuring presence eh, on a frozen lake in Siberia. He, he would be. He'd, he'd radiate that positive no, vibration. Nothing would overwhelm him, would it? No. No. I also love how Robbie's done more research on us than we've done on him. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> he's showing us up. <laughs> I've got that Rod Dixon one to listen to. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, actually. that's a belter. That's a belter. We yeah. Were, yeah. Oh, God. That jumped out at me. Yeah. yeah, like so I was supposed to do it at my own when he well, we, we we end up you kinda of get the feeling as well that if I froze to death he could drag my body to the other end of the lake quite comfortably. Um 
So that was, but that fell apart. And I was left with, like, Dan was up for an adventure. But Dan is, is very much a warm weather creature. Like that man, uh, he would have frozen within, I think probably like the, getting to the airport. <laughs> he wears a, he wears a down jacket to run in in the summer in or in the spring in the UK. So we 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 would look for a a, a more interesting an interesting project in a in a warmer environment. And Jordan was somewhere we could get to. Not wasn't too expensive. We we knew that there was a record on the trail, and it was culturally interesting enough for for Dave Dave McFarland, who was our filmmaker, because um, he wanted something interesting. He was mm. running around a like four hundred meter track or something. And uh, yeah, we just we, I put it together. Um, me and Dan got out there. We had Dave McFarlane, the film guy, and James Vincent, a photographer. He's a mountain bike photographer, but we got him involved. And uh, we all met up out in Jordan. We we the tourism board got, like lent us a, a, a car with a driver, Mohammed, who and bless him, he for the whole trip he didn't get have a clue what was going on, like. He turned up without, a, like, it was for an 11, 12-day trip, and he didn't even have a change of clothes. Oh. Wait, what are you doing? Because no one told you we were doing, like, an 11-day trip. He's like, oh, I'll be okay. And then, like, a day later, he, he returned home to get some pants and stuff. And, uh, but like, normally people get involved. They're like, oh, I get why you're doing this. It's what a big adventure. The whole way through, resolutely, he just stayed in the truck looking at, like, watching YouTube videos. <laughs> so, what about fair play, mate? And then... Yeah, he was he was all right, he, but he, he did really run Dan over at one point, which would have been a real downer. Um, <laughs> so they would have twi- yeah. an emotional hook in the video. Yeah, it would have been. It would have kind of <laughs> that. I mean, it might have, yeah, it made the video more popular, but it would have been bad for the FKT. But yeah, we. It, I mean, Jordan's a fantastic country. It's got such a varied landscape. Like up in the north, it's colder. The mountains are greener. Um, there's still the like the wonderful like, archaeology and the architecture, and then as we went through, you've got places like uh, like the lost city of Petra. You've mm. got Wadi Rum, which is like the Star Wars style kind of environment, and it was just stunning. And the people were really, really friendly, really lovely, and yeah, it was just an absolutely awesome adventure. So I'd recommend like that trail to to anyone who who wanted an adventure it wasn't always easy to follow wasn't a well-groomed trail mm. sometimes you're walking over rocks going like why is this why have you brought us this way you're like in a wadi and then but then there'd be moments that simply took your breath away when you were like when it, like you end up in a slot canyon and like you're just kind of weaving through this just otherworldly environment so yeah it was it was really really awesome i went to i went to egypt in the mm. middle and and never and sort of toyed with the idea of going to Jordan didn't quite get there have always kind of regretted it and now you've just made me really 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 regret it put it on a to-do list mate yeah no, I regret definitely yeah. definitely yeah so how I mean how can somebody who obviously loves doing something like that also love doing 24-hour races sometimes just around a 400 meter track can't believe you uh, it doesn't just isn't clear <laughs> man the 24 hours the purest what is just about running yeah. and eating um it's just how far can you go in a day and you can take these skills and like put it off into it makes you appreciate the, the wilds even more but it's just about purely how far you can run how much you can suffer like how, how well you can eat how you just 
I just love it. I do absolutely. I've just got a place. In, I'll always have a place in my heart for the twenty-four hour format because it's you see such like you see such a journey. So like the last few years, I've been part of the management team for the British twenty-four uh, hour squad. So I've been going along as, as part of the support for the some of the other members. Um, and you just it's just such a journey every time. Each individual has a different experience, and it can. It can turn on a on a dime, just like one second everything's going well. You're thinking, well, they we're going to do brilliantly, and then three of your six runners are in, like are vomiting into bins. You know, like, well, how did this suddenly happen? Mm-hmm. You're on, you're on the whole time as a supporter. You're like, this could go wrong at any moment, and you just kind of like, what do I? What can I do to make to avoid that? But yeah, it's, it's like the anxiety of, of supporting and crewing. So I I end up like we we have like six people supporting the twelve runners, and you're kind of just. Yeah, it's like spinning plates the whole time for 24 hours. So even supporting the 24, I love it. If you if you if you haven't been to one or if you haven't tried one, I got my L to try one, and uh, I I don't think he looked massively happy in any of the pictures, but he he experienced. He, he, I think he appreciated it as an as an experience. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> an evil laugh. Um, so in the in 2015, you somehow managed to get faster towards the end. In fact, when you ran your fastest couple of hours in the last couple of hours. How did you manage yeah, I, that? I finished with, what was it, a free 23 marathon, I think. Um, I, it wow. was a mix. Like, a part of it's good fueling. So, like, I was eating and stuff in my face the whole way through. Um, and that's, I think that's really important, the 24s especially. Mm. It's easy to switch off on that. Um, I get very excited towards the end of races. But... I, any race I've done, I'd always finish fast. Um, but with with the 24 that time, um, because you see, like, one of the things about 24 is it brings that team element in. So we, you've got team medals. It's the top three scorers in each each team. Um, they their 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 distances combined, and then you get your team medals at the World or European Champs. And I love. I've always played team sports, so. For, for 23 of those hours, there was a greater purpose to my running. And it's not, it's, it's not about how you're doing or if you're going up or if you're feeling good. It's about what can I do for the team. So that element was very strong for me. And, and we, we were on for a gold medal. So every time we passed someone of another country, and bear in mind, there's six runners from each country out there. Well, I mean, at that point, there's probably three or four, and some of them are just lying in tents. But you can still take joy from passing the one that's in the tent. <laughs> they could be one of the scorers. Yeah. Going back, to your, going back to your American football days, it's about attrition, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, remember, I, think I remember in Turin, like, one of the Japanese guys lying, like, vomiting into a drain on the floor. And uh, I'm just jogging past and being like, I hope that person's okay. But also, I'm very glad that we're all lapping him. Um <laughs> So, and that that was a real big that that helped because you knew you were going for gold, but every couple of minutes you were passing someone that were taking taking your team closer to gold, and it wasn't until the last hour that they said, "I've been running with uh, one of my teammates, Paddy Robbins, for a while," um, and obviously I'd run with Dave before that. Before that, I'd run with Oliver Liu of the German team and had a really good chat with him, and then yeah, it was like right, you're in sixth place, so you can there's a chance you can get to, to third. And I just, I thought I was after the third European spot because there was a European in the Worlds, but actually it was three Europeans in the top three spots. And they just told me who to chase. 
and I just I love chasing people like just in general and uh so I was just I I went off like a steam train and it, it was that moment then I it was like look you you we've secured the team bronze the team gold I think we were 17k ahead at that point so even if I'd have laid down the floor we'd have got the team gold but they said look you can go for the for, for individual glory now if you want and I yeah I was sprint. I was forty meters off second. Wow! wow. Did you meters. did you know that yeah, at the time? Yeah, I was chasing him. I right. was chasing basically. You could see him. I, so you're in the same straight. Yeah, we, like he was. He had a, but he was part of the Polish team. So I, I knew I was chasing a pole, and I was just obviously there's other runners out there. I didn't know which pole it was, so I was just chasing every single Polish person I could see, um, <laughs> like on the course, not just yeah, like no, not, not around the town. <laughs> Yeah. I felt like some kind of right wing nationalist or something. Um, yeah, I was just, and I, it, I got like, I don't know, like, I always say you don't hold anything back, but you find something extra for the finish of a race. Yeah. Mm. I think that's the case. I can dig quite deep. Yeah, sounds like you can. And what, um, if I may ask, what do you, you know, you, you, you talked about sort of the, the importance of eating and nutrition. What are you eating in these, in these type of events or? What do you like do you, to eat? So I, I, I make up these rice cakes normally that have kind of got a real, a mix of rice, a bit of jam in there, um, some peanut butter, a little tiny bit, not much, a um, bit of salt in there. It, it's a real mix. What's important is getting a good amount of carbohydrates in you consistently throughout the race. Um, and for like sports nutrition is a really, I'm currently studying the IOC sports nutrition diploma. So I hope that's a couple of years and, and hoping that leads in, you can do a six month conversion at the end, but it turn it into a master's. So I'm, it's, it's an, a subject I'm focusing on a lot, but it's, it's finding what works for you. Mm. So for me, I, I, I can shovel lots in them. Once the rice cakes and the, and the more slow release carbohydrates are off the menu, um, and you're seeing a lot more of the energy drinks now, like the um, Morton's, the beta fuels, which have got that, two to one glucose fructose mix, which is a lot easier for the body to take on the, high, the higher amounts. But for the 24s, I'll aim for 80, 90, 100 grams of carbohydrates an hour and to keep that consistently going in. And it might be from a variety of, like I think, I think the last few hours of um, Chirin, that was mostly Coca-Cola. Uh, but even that, like 100, uh, 500 mils of Coke is going to have 55 grams of carbs in there. And if you can take that on per hour and a few other extra bits, some Haribo, some fruit, all kinds of stuff, then you're just, you're keeping that going. And it's, it's about, yeah, carbs per hour is what I, I take on as many as I can. Um, and you can train that. It's one of the, there was a recent study, a uh, Spanish chap um, brought out and he, he looked at, it was, for, I think it was like four hour ultras in the mountains. And they had a lot of the Spanish national team in the men. Unfortunately, it was only men. There weren't any women in the study, which is a, a common issue. Um, but they had a group taking on 120 grams of carbs an hour um, for four gels um, with a two-to-one mix, uh, glucose, fructose, and they trained their guts beforehand. So they were three times a week running with that, um, with up to 90 grams of carbs an hour, and they were using that to train their gut. And when it came to race day, what they, they measured in this study was um, uh, damage, uh, muscle, uh, muscle damage markers. And the group that take on the higher amount, they had less muscle damage towards the end because they had sufficient fuel, you'd hypothesize, um, throughout the run. So, so they, they had damage. So you're looking at like creatinine kinase and C-reactive protein and stuff like that. Is that what they're measuring? 
that's what they were looking at, yeah. Because I suppose you could look at it from a performance point of view, but in terms of like ultramarathon, there's so many different factors that affect performance. It would be hard to to build a study looking at that, especially in a real world yeah. environment. Maybe do it on a treadmill, um, which you do see. You get there's a lot of studies done on on treadmills or bikes looking at like the like time to exhaustion or time trial performance. Um, but actually, to see it done in the real world was quite interesting, and I think that's probably why they chose the muscle marker, uh, the muscle damage markers, rather than. I think the 120 group did have the best um, finishing time. It wasn't. I don't think it was statistically significant. But then you could see, like that could have just been down to the fact that they picked that the, the the runners in that group had trained better. So it's hard to to actually have that as a. But it showed it was possible. That's what yeah. I liked about it. That was possible. Yeah. Because it is, it is, I mean, it's such a fascinating topic, isn't it? And it's one that seems to change all the time. And I mean, I know from my own experience as well, some things, some days it just doesn't work for you and you've got a nutrition plan. And for some reason it doesn't work and you've just got to adapt. And that's part of, I mean, it's part of the challenge as well. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's one of the skills you've got to develop is that adaptability. Yeah, and that's, that comes from practicing with different foods or put, putting yourself in different races, different environments, and say the humidity is different and all of a sudden your yeah. electrolyte is taken out and, and, and loss is completely different, changes what you can eat and, and what you can't eat. And There may or yeah. may not still be several sachets of a, a certain electrolyte carbohydrate powder scattered about Humphreys Bay and the Tarawera course where I threw them one year <laughs> well, no, <laughs> in sounds, What's that about? I was, I was adapting. I was adapting. I was adapting. So, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen. I always laugh. There's a certain brand of bar that um, once, once I, I won't name and shame them, but once you, if you don't eat them in the first ten minutes of the run, you're probably it's too. They're too tough to eat, and they've probably completed more races than yes. any other yeah. bar. Yeah. At the end of the race, like, mate, how many how many of those you got in your pack? Like, four of them. And we carried them for four hundred miles. I mean, what? Why? why carry them? <laughs> they never expire either, so they're just always there. Yeah. I think okay. I know the ones you're talking about, actually. Mm, I think we all do, yeah. Got, yeah, yeah. I, won't, I won't be as cruel to mention them. No, yeah. no. They're way down your pack anyway, yeah. Oh. Hey, you You once ran with Janos Chorus. Did I read that somewhere? See, I did do some research. There you go. That was at the 2013 World Champs. He right. was in the 60s at that point, or maybe 50, late 50s. What a legend. Um, mm. Yeah, it was cool. He's like, I remember him as well because he had a big... Uh, he got beaten by one of the Russians in his age categories. He wasn't happy. He had a proper. He like he was throwing his stuff at his crew and everything. Um, what a diva! But yeah, no, he, like he's a. I'm a massive, massive fan and of of basically everything Yanis has done. I'd love to just I don't know one day try and emulate a little. I just attempt some of the things he he did, but I'm not quite there yet. But he's. I mean, he's again. People ask why he was the the greatest ultra runner of all time. And they talk about his poetry and his his, his marathon time was like a two twenty three and all this stuff, but it was his eating. Yeah, there's a study, was it Ron? It's a study in nineteen eighty nine, um, and they looked at the Sydney to Melbourne yep. you know, over five five or so days, and on the first day he averaged one hundred and thirty grams of carbs an hour, and then over the, the subsequent five days the average was ninety grams an hour, and mm. that's mostly like little sweets and stuff, mm. very little. There's no fat, a little bit of protein in there every now and again, but his his greatest strength, in my opinion, was probably his eating. This, I'm going to mess the story up, and I, I, so I won't give specific details because the, the 
our friend Sean, who tells the story, will be listening and he'll be yelling at this podcast right now as he's listening as I <laughs> miss the story out. But Yanis Kouros came out to New Zealand at one point and ran around Lake Taupo. And uh, our friend Sean and our friend Gary were among those who crewed for him. And he was very, very specific, you're right, about the food. And they had to have like a, a, a plate of food to offer him, including bananas. And this is where I'm going to get it wrong. I think there had to be one one third of a banana. They had to be cut into thirds, I think it was. Right. And at one point they got their measurements slightly wrong. And he was not happy about this. There you go. He was very unhappy about this. But yeah, the man knew how to eat. He knew what he wanted to eat. And that, like you say, that's probably one of the secrets but there's got to be more than that because he's just so far and away superior yeah. to anyone else isn't he in history like, well he was he was a great runner but there were probably i mean you look at this other, other factors like he's, he's a strong runner he's he was yes yeah, so a 223 marathon he's up there around the kind of the, the top end of what you might expect the tw- like an ultra runner to be to be running in terms of their marathon speed you've got faster guys these days the likes of jim walsley hayden yep. hawks sure yeah. um sure and you could argue that maybe that if you go too far down the, the, the fast marathon thing, you're not a suit to 24 hours because you've got to be strong. It's got to be a bit of muscle mass there um, to hold you upright in those in those latter hours. Mm. Uh, yeah, he's meditating. Like when he goes into that meditative state, they talk about and they say he struggled a bit on the on the trials because he couldn't switch off into his into his meditative state right. as much. But and I've I've only read this second hand. I've not spoke to Yanis myself about. It. Um, but I, I, I honestly think it was uh, he was a prime physical specimen. Like that's, but there are is, other yeah. people who as, as, as fit or even fitter than him. His eating honestly holds him apart. There are, he, is, there, I don't think there are any other runners out there who could average ninety grams of carbs an hour for five and a half days. Just, I just don't think there are, and that's. Mm. I think it's overlooked as one of the reasons he's he's one of the greatest. And it's yeah, it's a perfect storm. There's plenty of factors that. To get there, but before we start looking at like practicing our own poetry and, and building on that side of things, we should probably look at the eating. Yeah, I've um, neglected my poetry work. I'm really. going for the mustache. The mustache. Well, I mean, that's I my first help. I've actually started growing a mustache today, much to my wife's uh-huh. chagrin. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll be at a thousand miles before we know it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's my thing. Yeah, could be. Maybe. Could be. Everyone's got their thing. Get your bananas and thirds. I don't like bananas. He also he also like made them. And it was the middle of the night around Lake Topol, and it was very cold. He made them have the windows down <laughs> so that so that he could hear the the music that he demanded they play. I wonder what that was. And, and these it was men operatic, are yeah. Oh, yeah. operatic. I, I'm not sure what what it was, but but yeah, he he was very very specific about what he needed, and I guess that's the thing, isn't it? You you know what works for you. Do it. He definitely worked, didn't he? Just yeah. I, and, and we know these two men quite well. You know, like Gary had a world record. Matt Sean was a world record holder. Yeah, yeah Sean is new national. He's got a he's got the twelve hour record. Twelve hour record. Yeah. So these are two very very you know very great amazing runners, and uh, just the fact this man tormenting them <laughs> 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 in the middle of the night in Taupo with the window down, yelling at them than the rest of us, like. I remember someone saying, I was chatting to a chap, he's on Twitter, Paul Steeltown Runner. He's like a, what, I can't remember, he's like an ultra-running, I don't know, statistician, fan, mm-hmm. rumbler. Um, and we, we spoke about, uh, and people say, oh, yeah, you've, you've finished third at the World 24 Hours. And I'm like, yes, but 261 
is a long way from what Kuros was possible like doing. I like we've got a long way to go, and we're seeing it with the twenty fours, and we're seeing it with Camille Heron. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. she's bringing up the standard. Yeah, and uh, we're like, well, she's like it's. It's not new boundaries. We're just slowly getting up to where Yanis already was many years ago. Yeah. So it's basically like, I don't know, when we say we have national records and stuff like that, like I think I was the national road record holder for, for a little while, and I lost that before I even realised I had it. Um, and the we're so far from what he's doing. It's it's almost like he's a, like a 210 marathoner, and we're back at 230 and saying, like, we're, we're brilliant. And in fact, he's he's another level altogether. Yeah. I mean, God blimey. God blimey, all right. What's he doing now? Probably just running around, isn't he? Yeah, maybe. He's got like 600 books or poems, isn't he? So, I mean, he's got to be churning them out at almost like at a constant rate. And so... I don't know what he's doing now. He still races a bit, doesn't he? I mean, I mean that in all due respect. I'm not oh, like, what's course, he up to now? What is he doing now? What's he doing now? No, no, no. What have you done now, mate? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're only as good as your last race, mate. <laughs> so what's, pretty... what's, I mean, do you have, you know, the world's been tipped on its ear. You, you know, you, you, you're racing these long distance bike races now and you, you, you said, you know, you've had a niggle, you, your body's a bit sort of sore at the moment. Have you, been able to kind of plan anything for the future? Or are you just sort of taking it day by day in terms of running? So Running-wise, I've actually fully focused on the bike racing for a little bit. It's been quite nice because I can push the body and the mind a bit more. Previously with the running, it, something gave up before, I, before the mind was called into action. Um, no, I'm, I'm just keeping it ticking over. So like I did – we had um, a part of the Centurion running coaching team and we had a, a – a community event, like a virtual event, and I jumped on and did the did the five k. And I, I was I was still all right over five k. So the biking is keeping me fit. So I, I might get jump in and do some shorter distance stuff towards the end of the year, maybe some ten k's or half marathons, try and update some PBs because I think I won't be far off it on the bike fitness. Um, in terms of longer racing, no, I'm just I, I see how it goes. Like. I, I'm optimistic that we're going to see some races over here in Europe um, and 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 in the UK. I don't know, you guys, have you got any races going over your end? Your yeah, end we do. Yeah, we're back racing. Yeah, mm. yeah I mean, you 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 had a, a competent leader, I believe. That was a big factor. Um, <laughs> but he, yeah, so we're uh, without getting too much into the politics of it all. Oh no, so please. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see more um, events coming back. Yeah, and. I mean, to tell you what as well, like, I'm never, like, although I'm doing the bike racing, because I coach, and that's, I, I feel like I probably started out as an athlete who did some coaching, and now I'm probably a coach who does some running. and, and Right. right. And, so and you're I, kind of living get, vicariously a little bit. Yeah, I get a lot of joy from helping my athletes in, in their own racing and venturing, FKTs, and trying to think of ways to, to keep us all motivated over these difficult times. Um, so yeah, I, like, I don't, I do get. I'm still very heavily involved in in, in the running, um, but again, I've been doing it for 11 years now, and I'm I'm only 33, which is young in ultra running terms. I like to think, so I can take a cut. Like the whole idea of stepping back from the 24 hours for a few years was because I can. I'm still yeah 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 absolutely. I'm one of the youngest within our squad, um, and I'm part of the management, so it's I can come back in a few years, and and enjoy experience a few different things. Let the body kind of 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And how, I mean, is that is that partly how you've been able to? Because lots of runners who come across injuries, you know, that that can be enough to you know throw them really big yeah. time. But but I mean, you sound like you've handled it pretty well. Mm, I mean, there's ups and downs in there, but I, as long as I've, I'm very much, I enjoy like focusing on self improvement. Mm. So the initial injury come in, I was still finishing off. I, I, just finished a master's in performance coaching with University of Stirling. So I was focusing heavy on that and I put myself into that. I put myself into the bike riding and I could feel that we all enjoy the improvement side of things, right? So when mm. you feel yourself getting better at something, be it like your ultra running or be it your your uh, like other aspects of your life, if you've got that focus, it's a lot easier to deal with the, the ups and downs. And I mean, I was focused, I went out to the States last year for Desert Solstice and achieved my personal worst 24 hour um, of 48 kilometers. But like, even going into that, I ran a PB over the half marathon. I was fit. Um, but so it wasn't like I was unfit. It was just that I was unable to run for 24 hours, which imagine going to a doctor and saying, hi, hi guys, I'm, yeah, I'd like to uh, talk <laughs> out. Like, I can't run for 24 hours anymore. I can only run a marathon PB. And they'll be like, what's wrong with you? You're fine. So it's it's a very small imbalance. It's, I think it's a, we, and that's part of the problem is it's around. It's it's not a, a big injury. If I'd have broken a leg, it would be easier to figure out. Right. But because it's probably a little imbalance that I've built up over years and years and years. Um, we're just trying to balance it out, working with different physios and what, what? the coronavirus thing stopped that process because it didn't feel it felt it would have been a bit self indulgent to to ask for the time of a medical professional to, to look into my knee or my, my hip to stop me running. In reality, when there are people actually dying out there, and yeah. you think it doesn't matter as much, does it? So I can crack on with a bike. And uh, uh, when it comes to it, like there's no rush, I'll I'll, I'll get delving again and maybe uh, have another MRI or something and try and figure yeah, out. Get it sorted. So is it, what's the imbalance, do you think? It's probably... So the issue was, right, you were like this. So when I when the initial injury happened, I was in the shape of my life. Like I'd probably all say this, but I was training for a track hundred and I was I was very confident that I could do well. Um done a couple of sessions that let me know that I was fit as a fiddle. And it just I pinged something in my in my glute and then I jumped on the bike. Very quickly it was like, Well, I'm gonna keep this fitness going, I'll jump on the bike. And the problem was that I think my position on the bike, the seat was too high. Right. So that then caused a second issue. So I would go to the physio and describe the issue, which was the initial injury, and then the symptoms I had then weren't lining up. For someone to diagnose it was really difficult because I, I was basically, it sounded like I was making shit up. Um, and it went, it was harder and harder to diagnose. I, I had about two months of biking then, did a couple of bike races and come back and could run. I was fine. It just wasn't 100%. And as I said, I run a PB over the half. It's a good week of training, but you're not it's a, for a 24 hour for an ultra. You've got to be 100 percent because anything that's like a little kind of thread that's slightly unravelled over the course of 24 hours mm. is just going to fall Um So yeah, that's why it didn't feel. And the, the, the 24 itself did it left me a bit battered. Um, so after that, I took a bit more time off from from cycling and running, and it improved a bit. And then we I started messing around with the bike position and thought actually. This is helping it not feel as bad. So maybe the biking's one issue. So we solved that issue. And now I've got a slight running niggle that I could 
I could run through. I could train through it. It wouldn't be a bother. Like you can, especially if I was racing shorter distances, it'd be all right. But yeah. for the longer stuff, yeah. So it, yeah. It's, it's partly to do with an imbalance on my left side in the in the quads, in the hip flexors, in the like all different bits and bobs. That's then meaning that my right side does all the work. And I think it's the right side just got a bit fed up and went, come on, I'm doing all this work. Right, yeah. You're like, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. And it did sort your shit out, mate. Does that sound like a medical diagnosis? It sounds like it could have gone straight from straight from a, a, a doctor, absolutely. <laughs> from Grey's Anatomy. But, that, but I guess it's the thing, isn't it? Like if you look at a quote-unquote normal person who gets an injury – you might go, oh, my hammy or my butt or whatever, and then you kind of stop. But you're like, right, bike, straight on yeah. into it. Yeah. You know, and but I guess it speaks to the, one of the things that's really come through for me in this conversation is just your utter enthusiasm about moving and be that cycling or running or you know, I bet you play a hell of a game of Monopoly. Um, just that pushing yourself and you, you know. To your limit, or finding out where your limits are. Yeah, that's part of it, isn't it? You just that's like I like doing what I like doing. Like my life is focused, and my, like my wife and I, our life is focused on on doing what makes us happy. Um, so whatever that be at the time, that's what I'm focused on. I'm quite, I, I do enjoy it. Um, and for me, the further the depths of the mind and the psychological side of things. It, I just I want to find out more about it, and that's why I'm enjoying the bike riding because it's allowing me finally. Like when you're when the races are three, four, five days long, and it's the clock never stops, and you can do little sleeps in bus stops, and like you you, you eat what you find on the, in different like shops and stuff along the way, you can really go to some dark places, like mm. <laughs> proper proper dark places, and that's that's enjoyable. That's that's what I'm in it for. Like I I'm in it to compete. I do love competition. As you say, Monopoly, people probably don't like playing Monopoly with me because I just get too competitive. Um, that's a fact. Like at university, my mates stopped playing board games with me because I was too competitive. <laughs> Sid, Mrs. Plum in the study with, yeah. the, with the dagger. <laughs> yeah. but it's not, it's not a bad thing. We're all competitive. Absolutely. Okay, I never race or anything. Like I, I go and do... I, like in the off season when I was Chamonix, I do cross country skiing and I sign up to a bunch of cross country skiing races. And I wasn't competitive. God no. I was racing people generally in their sixties, right? But we'd go back and forth, like they'd overtake on the downhill, on the uphill, I'd be like banging it past them with my terrible English technique. And uh and I just and like having to wax my own skis, which I knew very little about. But like I just loved the challenge of it. And I'd compete against like the last place people rather than the first, it doesn't have to be. I'd be competing against myself, like to not fall over. That in itself was a challenge on the skis. And so it's like I think we're all competitive. That's why we're in these these events. But it's, it might just be with a very individual thing. You're competing with yourself, or like the sixty-year-old geezer skiing in baggy lycra. <laughs> just yeah, I think that's a part of it. If you're not competitive, you you don't really feel the urge to go and run a long way over some mountains. Well, I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't think we've ever spoken to a single person on the show who hasn't, the overall drive is to compete against themselves. You know, like that's, sure, you might be first, but you're trying to beat yourself. And, 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 and if you are good enough to be first, I guess there's always 
yourself to beat. Yeah. What keeps Killian getting up? Because like, he's not like he's competing against everyone else most of the time, is it? Uh, 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 I always think that... Like, Camille, we, like you say. Yeah, Camille. I just think those yeah. things like um, Jason Schlaub was talking about, you know, hard rock and he'd wait for you on the trail. <laughs> you're, like, you're, you're one of the best athletes in the world and you come around the corner and he's like eating an orange going, can we run? We're now. We're now. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit, that is a bit sad. I like that feels to be, like when, it, when people, I'm not a massive fan of people finishing races together because I want to see a race. I want to see a sprint finish if there's one. So it's like, I always feel a little short-changed. We, I think I've used the phrase uh, joint second um, <laughs> people finish together. But, like, it is nice. I do get it. There are places in, where it's really, like, and there are very few people that I would finish a race hand-in-hand hand with. Um, and actually, yeah, Miles probably one of them because we've been through a lot together. Uh, but, but, like, I just can't – I couldn't imagine it with someone I, I didn't really know. I, like, there's something inside me that even if we were jogging towards the finish line hand-in-hand – I'd be the big part of me trying to sprint away, and I couldn't help it. Like the part of me just be like, just leave him, leave him in the dirt. Yeah, <laughs> sprint you in an ultra. Like that little voice would be there, just telling me. I've done it. I, I did it in third place in a trial marathon once uh, with the first place uh, woman's finisher, who I knew, and I had this okay. sort of internal battle. And you're right. This part of me is like, and I don't know if it's an inbuilt chauvinism. I don't know if it's a it's a whatever. I don't know if it's the fact that I've been a, a registered nurse for the last 20 years. Do you know? Like, I was like, I know that I know Leah. She's rad. Now, do I out sprint her? Do you know? Do I throw yeah. an elbow? Or then I don't care about being beaten. <laughs> at, 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 do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, take that. <laughs> the roof cross shoulder. Yeah, get her the roof cross shoulder. I mean, and I just, we had the talk. I was like, look, I, I feel, I guess I'm just perhaps I'm more of a, I don't know, maybe I'm more of a lover than a fighter. I don't know, but I was like, do you want to finish together? And she said, your coach isn't going to be very happy. And I said, well, you know, bugger what he thinks, you know, <laughs> a rare moment of rebellion. But it was, a, it was a, yeah, it was a different feeling than I thought it would be. But you're right. I, when I'm watching races, I don't like so much to see people cross hand in hand. Imagine if she'd have dropped, like, like giving you an elbow at the finish. I would have loved that. that <laughs> Drop the hammer. Drop the hammer. <laughs> Well, she stopped to pick up a kid, and he's a thumping big boy, so that probably would have slowed it down. Oh. I mean, like Dinah yeah. and the Silver Apples, you know, in the Greek mythology. But look, Robbie, this has been amazing talking to you, and we've kept you, you know, you, you, you've got your Monday to enjoy. Um, we ask one question of everyone who comes on uh, Greatest Run Ever. No, wait, that doesn't what make sense. We, yeah. we, we ask one question of everyone who comes on Dirt Church Radio, and that is, Robbie Britton, what's been your Greatest Run Ever? See, see, I got to give the same answer as Dave Proctor. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, twice is the 2015 Turin. I'm still living off it. The Turin 24 uh, hour world champs. It it just wasn't even that everything went well. I had an, an awful first six hours, but it was just the finish was so good. And the emotion was really high. I ran with some really great people that day. Um, Apparently, I told some good stories. You did. And, uh, and, and I just, I love 24-hour racing. And I love the people, the community was so strong. To run for my country was a big, is a big um, motivator for me. To win gold for my country was, was huge. It's absolutely huge. And I cried my eyes out at the finish. Um, and, yeah, 
running, yeah, so running a strong marathon to finish your 24 hour, when you're overtaking everyone, you're the fastest person on the field, it feels awesome. <laughs> I'd highly recommend like uh, trying to negative split any race. Not, I mean, whatever your pacing strategy is, nothing feels better than overtaking everyone at the end of an ultra. Because you've only got to be running like, I know, you could run eight minute miles and overtake everyone at the end of an ultra. <laughs> um, I was probably running six and a half minute miles at the final like five, ten minutes and flying part. I felt like I was Usain Bolt. It was brilliant because it's all relative. But um, yeah, 2015. Brilliant. World European Championships. Brilliant. And, and, oh, and telling yeah. stories along the way. Oh, loads of stories. Yeah. Trying to change people's perspectives, it turns out. <laughs> Zen like, wouldn't amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Robbie. That's absolutely fantastic, and we loved right. having you on. Uh, yeah, such. I mean, we and we wish you well getting over your injury, but it, but it actually doesn't matter because you're living life to the full anyway. Yeah, but I said you should get Sophie on next. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, tell it. Good person. Yeah, when she comes in to chop your hair, tell um, her we'd love to tell have her. We'd love to have her on. I'll tell her right after. I'll, I'll, I'll message her after this and tell her that she's got to go on next. Brilliant. She's uh, having some great discussions this morning about female participation within our sport. So. Ah, Fantastic. Good. 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 Absolutely. We need to talk about that. All right. Thank you very much. Nice to chat you, boys. We should have had a Dean. You're right. We should have gone like. Ding. Pre remastered three head. Should head. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. It's hard not I, I felt real hard like coming away from that and not like my face was hurting a little bit from smiling. Yeah. One of those one of those ones. Very good one. He mentioned Sophie Grant Sophie there, that's Sophie Grant, who's New Zealander who's living in Europe and travelling around and often gets to UTMB and uh, up into those races in the mountains at Chamonix every year and we should get her on the show he's absolutely right so thank you so much to Robbie thank you to you for tuning in we're on social media at Dirt Church Radio email is dirtchurchradio at gmail.com you can find us on iTunes Stitcher and other podcast platforms and if you download direct from the website which is dirtchurchradio.com also if we're not where you want us let us know don't forget to subscribe and rate us also if you like what you see please spread the love it'd be great as many people heard this as possible and for that we need your help. We also want you to send us in your greatest one ever. Don't and be a we, jackass. We know you love doing it because yeah. you do such a good job of it. So keep doing it. We'd and love don't to hear like, you. don't like just tell someone about it. Don't say, hey, look, this happened. Or I heard a friend of mine it happened. Yeah. It happened to him. And maybe it was a two-week long run and then mm. I don't really have any proof that it happened. Mm. Just send it in. But it'd be true. It's not true. Mm. But it's anyway, send right. it in. Yes. Dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. Indeed. Thanks to our sponsors. <laughs> Scott Running, Further Faster, Spring Energy, Sealy. I had a petty mal seizure then. Uh, and <laughs> thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And our wild things. Absolutely. Well, not our wild things. Uh, the wild things. The wild things, yes. Thank you to our editor, Karen. Don't forget to come along to our live show next Saturday, July the 4th. Be there or be square. Kakite. Kakite. <laughs> Thanks, Rigby. <laughs>